Hi everyone and welcome to episode 7 of the Two Sporting Muppets. You're here with Greg and Gray and we're about to have a chat about uh, the week in sport that was. We're also going to take a deep dive and chat about the Commonwealth Games and I know Gray's organised a bit of a sporting history chat on the South Sydney Bunnies or Rabbitohs as was suggested as a topic of football history teams from one of our listeners. So at that stage, let me formally welcome Mike Alhurst Gray. Hello, Greg. How are things? How's your week been? Been a very busy week for me, thanks, Gray. And more importantly, very busy sporting week. So let's get into it and have a bit of a chat and reflection about what's happened this week in sport. Before we do, Greg, just recent news yesterday. Um, look, I know you're not a huge boxing fan, but we lost one of our greats, um, Jommy Famishon. Okay, he's a very well-renowned world champion featherweight boxer. Really interesting story. I obviously didn't see him fight. I was talking to my dad about it last night. Um, yeah, so he was French. He was born in Paris, came to Australia with his family when he was about five. And I think his proper name was Jean-Pierre, though very French, but down in Victoria, yeah, and became a world champion boxer. He apparently, he was just a super defensive boxer. He never basically never got hit. He would make, which in a boxing ring is a pretty handy a- asset to have. But yeah, look, Jommy Fennishon, for all reports, a really champion man as well. Yeah, and Australian boxing is definitely poorer for the loss. I know, you know ex-champions have come out and you know in support and just their reflections. So yeah, violated Jommy Fennishon. NRL, been a busy week as always. West Tigers won a game, I can't believe it, but actually hit a little bit of form, the Mighty Tigers, which, you know, I certainly impressed me. The Broncos, have a quick talk about them, Greg. So the Tigers played really well. They were bad last week, the Broncos. And I was listening to uh, This Week in League, another fine NRL podcast with the boys, and they were predicting a Broncos win, and a lot of people were. But they were they played the Roosters last night and got rolled. They were awful. Yeah, I watched the week before your, the Tigers played the Broncos. I thought the Tigers played really, really well. And particularly on the back of getting robbed, I'm not going to say robbed, by from North Queensland. They weren't robbed by North Queensland, but the interpretation of the rules robbed them of what should have been upset victory in North Queensland the week before. So they bounced back really, really well. And I thought they did play really well and they are seem to be finding some form at the back end of the season. And hopefully we'll keep them off the wooden spoon out of last place as they as we get to the end. But the Broncos, you're right, they were they were awful. They were the Tigers played all over them and then um, last night played the Roosters and they were terrible. Um, the Roosters was 34 to 10 or thereabouts. You know, as as well as the Roosters played, I think the Broncos played equally poorly. It was 18-0 earlier, 18-4. It was, as someone mentioned, it was their defence. It was like last last two years' Broncos defence. You know, Adam Reynolds has done great things for them, but he couldn't, you know, he can only play as well as the forwards and the defensive structures perform and really struggled. Now, the Roosters, they've been up and down this year. They were $26 to win the comp two weeks ago. I, I, I couldn't resist the bait. I had a crack. I think I put 10, 10 or 20 bucks on it. I just think they're coming into a bit of form. But look, having said that, it is a punt because they're, they're all over the shop sometimes as well. But really disappointing because Brisbane had a great year. Josh Reynolds, sorry, Adam Reynolds has been really good for them. But yeah, starting, starting to get a little bit wonky. Quick thing I'll mention in the NRL, because I know it's hardly a story, but during Monday it was revealed David Clemmer had been stood down from Newcastle for an on-field thing. No one was sure what it was, but it just came out that, like how, how rare would this be? I don't think. The trainer told him to get off and he basically said, no. Yeah, not in those words, but I'm not coming off. Um, and past players reveal it happens all the time. But for some reason, Newcastle have taken a, a stern view of it. If I, if I did that every time that, that happened, they said there'll be no professional sportsmen <laughs> left. So, yeah, a, a much ado about nothing thing. AFL, there's a couple of things. The actual teams, Geelong keep chugging along. I think they've won the last eight or nine, top of the ladder. Definitely premiership favourites at the moment. Demons, who we've talked about on the podcast, a bit up and down, but they, they're they starting to look look good again. So those teams are probably the standouts. Look, Buddy Franklin, a bit of circus continues. 
Now, we know Buddy's been a great servant for Sydney. Who would have thought when he signed that eight, nine-year contract? No one thought he'd get to the end of it. No, you know, people laughed. Whereas now, coming to the end of it, about where he might be playing next year. So now there's talk of him going to Brisbane, Brisbane Lions, which I think would, okay, be good for Brisbane. I wonder whether it's just, just talk, you know, to, to get him there. But I think it would be a real shame for the Sydney Swans if they did lose him. I agree with you. I think he has been an absolute servant for Sydney and great for the promotion of AFL in Sydney, which struggled for a while to get traction against, uh, against the NRL. Uh, even with success, but Buddy Franklin being the superstar that he was when he came and then signed, at the time, no one heard of it before, an eight or nine year contract to stay in the Harbour City in Sydney. And he's had his injuries across the way and had some time out as well, but certainly has been a positive impact overall for AFL, for the Swans themselves, but more broadly AFL in New South Wales. But I did read that as well, that there's talk of him going to Brisbane, whether it's just his manager promoting it or talk in the background, I'm not sure. But I, I hope he continues or finishes his career in Sydney because I think it would be quite appropriate for him now to finish up with the Swans over the next few years. He's still got definitely still got something to offer, but I hope it. I hope it is with the Swans as he, he gets to to the end of his career. Potentially, Greg, with a premiership window, perhaps you know Swans are a good young team. Look. Probably not quite ready this year, but in the next few years, perhaps. Because the one criticism, or we look at the success of the Buddy contract, great, as you said, for the code, and he's played really well, but there's been no premiership in that time. So, you know, Brisbane are also contenders, a really strong team. So, yeah, I would love to see Buddy stay in Sydney, but Brisbane wouldn't worry him. He just wants to be out of the AFL bubble. Boy, he's loved Sydney so much. But anyway, hopefully a decision is made soon, and... So the buddy can get on with you know with playing footy. Very remiss of us not to mention, and we are going to talk about this later. The Commonwealth Games. So Australia, look, we are absolutely dominating in so many sports. So many, Greg. We can't get, can't mention them all. We'll be here all day. But we're leading the medal tally. I think it was about one fifty eight or something last time I looked. We're leading the golds into the fifties, nearly sixties. Look, our swimmers have just, for want of a better phrase, swept the pool, shall we say? Look, our athletics going really well. I know Peter Bowl races in the 800 metres final, I think, on the weekend sometime. We've had women's pole vault champion and all across other sports, gymnastics, lawn bowls, just right across the board. But Australia has performed really, really strongly. Look, I know, as you said, Gray, we're going to have a chat about the concept of the Commonwealth Games later on in the pod, but have to acknowledge the success of the athletes, particularly in the swimming pool in the first week, being phenomenal and way outperformed the other countries. One comment you made to me, which was interesting, we are leading, we, Australia is leading the, the medal tally, but in the Commonwealth Games, the United Kingdom compete as separate countries, England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland. So if you added their medals together, in the United, as the United Kingdom as they do in the Olympic Games, they'd actually be beating Australia. So that was an interesting point you made to me, that yes, Australia's performed really well, but if you add the United Kingdom back together, they would actually be outperforming us. But yeah, nothing taking nothing away from the um, athletes over there. And as I said, swimming has dominated the first week. Athletics has just started the last couple of days, but Australia's performed phenomenally well. So great to see, but we will chat about the notion of the Commonwealth Games later in the pod. Less recently, but the Tour de France, remember we mentioned it on the last pod, but that was only a couple of stages to go. But Jonas Vingard was predictably the winner. So fantastic work for him, first-time winner. And it was great to see when we mentioned the Australian riders who won a couple of stages. Also, I just wanted to mention netball in the Commonwealth Games. Bit of a shock last night. They're not out of it, but Jamaica. Jamaica beat our... Netball team. It was only by two goals. I think it was 57-55. But yeah, Australia tends to dominate. Um, probably just a little bit of a wake-up call. But And I think that's got to be healthy because us in England and New Zealand tend to dominate. So yeah, I think great result. One of the challenges for the Diamonds, the netball team now, is they actually play England in the semi-final leading before the gold medal match as opposed to probably what they would have considered a more weaker opponent by losing that match. So that'll be interesting to see how that pans out. But phenomenal result for Jamaica. Big upset to beat Australia. And it'll be interesting to see where that, how the 
that falls now moving forward into the medal rounds in the next couple of days. Now, the previous week, Greg, was it was an unbelievable week, wasn't it? That was the week where we had the debacle with the Tigers, the Tigers-Cowboys with the refereeing decisions, you know, challenging when I was not actually within the rules to challenge and that. But then the NRL must have been happy because that was going to be dominate the week. But then the manly debacle with the pride jumpers. It was, you know, it was the next day, so it, it dominated. Without, you know, we, we haven't got time now to, to go right into that, but just really poor management from Manly. The fact that it wasn't, you know, regardless of what your opinions are on, on it, the fact that they didn't consult with the players before agree, you know, going to their NRL and asking to do it. I just, it just, yeah, it, it, they did the work themselves to just make it an unbelievable stuff up, I thought. Look, I guess my point of view is slightly different from you on that. I, I view it as that the players are employees and you don't always get consulted by your employer about decisions that are made. It's a business. They're getting paid a lot of money. Their employer decided they'd wear a certain jersey. They only had to play the game. Nothing about the game changed. It was just simply the jersey they were wearing. And I just find it a bit hypocritical that those players would run around with a betting company on their jersey without any concern and they put some coloured stripes on and and then all of a sudden can't play. But this notion of consultation, I, I don't understand why. Why, as employees, they feel they needed to be consulted. They're paid to play. They were going to play. They simply were going to wear a different jersey for that game. So I, I kind of view it a bit differently to you and I don't think there needed to be consultation. I certainly know in most businesses, employee uh, Employers do not consult employers in every decision they made that filters down, and I I view it as just one of those circumstances. I take your point, Greg. Spoken like a true boss, <laughs> but yeah, now you make you make a really good point, and yeah, as I said, I just thought they must have. The reason I I think that I just thought they must have known with the you know, religious leanings of some of their players that it would cause problems. I I thought you know if they thought that strongly, could they not just cover the cover the, the little rainbow hoops up but that's not allowed jumpers got to be you know uniform across the whole team so look hopefully they learn from it i agree there's a lot of commentary on it i thought trent robertson the roosters coach spoke he spoke really well about it and he said the biggest shame of it is the the people and the the sort of causes it was meant to highlight and be a positive for it it became a negative and that was a real shame it was about meant to be about inclusion and it ended up being <laughs> excluding people and that was a real shock. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the message I think the message was great and it got lost because of the way it was handled. Uh, the other thing I'll say about the Manly Club, while I as I said, I don't believe it had to be cons- consultation, I think it was poor form to stick push Des Hasler and Daly um, Cherry Evans out the front as a spokesperson to try and sort the mess out. I think that's where the ownership should have stepped up and and fronted the media rather than the coach and the captain taking the heat over that. I think that was a bit poor form. Although I thought Hasler spoke well and handled it reasonably well, I I think that was poor form from the club. But I agree with you. I think Trent Robertson, the coach of the Roosters, summed it up best and and spoke really well on the issue. Hopefully, if if that acknowledgement and inclusive round does continue in the future, it's handled better league-wide and not just one club taking the heat. And just to finish that particular topic also though someone in the nrl dropped the ball but for manly to apply to do it could they have not have said well actually it's women in league round we can do it in another round so yeah i think there was a there was a few um people just yeah, didn't didn't quite think things through but look onwards and upwards i'm sure they've learned from it and i hope next time and i hope it is done again next year and i hope that it you know gives the exposure and the positivity for inclusion that that it was designed to four sorry now finishing off greg i was cricket we know we're cricket nufties so in the commonwealth games there that is one sport i think majority of countries who play it are in within the old commonwealth and australia it's only women's though women's t20 is the format they're playing but not surprisingly our team are doing really well like i think the other night we uh alicia healy and the other opener failed of course, someone the next two batters just step up and you know made an unbelievable score. So you know, well, well done to the Australian women's team. And despite 
our discussion or discussion we're going to have in the Commonwealth Games. But well done, any athlete that gets to represent Australia. That's a that's a great achievement and you know, something that you know, for the rest of their life they'll appreciate and you know can can be very proud of. Yeah, the the women's Australian cricket team. I'm going to be honest. I don't think they get the media attention they deserve. They are a class above and perform extremely well but still are treated second rate to the men's team. And I think we've still got, in Australia, a way to go with levelling that playing field because the the women's cricketers perform equally as well as the men in the women's competition. And it's great to see them doing well in the Commonwealth Games and, and raising the profile of women's sport once again without men competing. And I think that's that's a great decision and an opportunity that not always offered to women's sports. So I do appreciate that. Moving forward, I think that that is one of the strengths that needs to be acknowledged. And just to finish, Greg, look for our motor heads out there, Formula One. Um, bit of talk at the moment. Daniel Ricciardo, who was looking forward to a night, so I think I think they have a bit of a break, a mid-season break, but about his future. I know Sebastian Vettel has retired, as in Formula One. We spoke about the coaching merry-go-round. Retirements and change of drivers in Formula One every year it causes a similar type of you know sort of movement. So look, I, I have I'm not totally across the story, but I know you've heard of the Gun Australian up and comer, Oscar uh, Posastri. Apologies if I mispronounced that, but he was supposedly offered a drive. I think it was McLaren, but he turned it down. But for whatever reason, it's yeah, it's put Daniel Ricciardo's future in, in well in doubt is that too strong a word but it's sort of you know cast a, a little bit of a shadow about what what's happening there for for Daniel yeah I know Ricardo Daniel Ricardo's struggled the last couple of seasons in the cars that he's been driving but has said publicly he was committed to staying in the team he's in but I did hear the story that the other young Australian the apparently the team that he's one of the reserve drivers for came out publicly and said he'll be driving for us next year. And then he came out and said, no, I won't. I haven't signed and I won't be driving for them. So there's a lot of confusion. And then there was talk because Vettel had retired that that's Daniel Ricciardo be moved over to that team and the other young Australian be moved into Ricciardo's seat. So there are a bit of driver circus happening around, unfortunately, hovering around two Australian drivers at the moment. But it is the nature of the sport, as you said, at the you know, at the end of the season, it's always a bit of a revolving door for drivers changing teams, and the process just seems to be starting a bit early in the, their summer break this year. But it'll be interesting to see if we have two Australian drivers in the Formula One next year and what teams they both land in. Be interesting to keep across that over the coming weeks. I think one positive from it, Greg, is the fact that we have two drivers. We're talking about two Australian drivers in Formula One circles, so that's you know. That's good within itself. But look, a bit of ducks and drakes. Hopefully it, it sorts itself out. But yeah, that it is funny. A little bit funny though. With the with the team saying, Yep, Oscar's driving, saying, No, I'm not. So we'll see how that pans out. Next for our history section. Now, Greg, we spoke last week. I think it was our good friend Mark Gardner's suggestion to look at the history of some sporting clubs in Australia. And we thought it was an excellent idea. So we're going to make our start in rugby league, probably the football code that we're most familiar with, although AFL is very popular and we love that as well. But the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Now, before I start, I do need to just give a little bit of a precursor. Rugby league in general, because we're going to be talking about it over the next few months, is there's a bit of debate over, and the clubs argue over who was the first formed, but literally it's a... It's a day or two. So basically early 1908 is when they were formed. Um, now, where do you sit, Greg, on the South Sydney? I'm not – look, I've got respect for them, but I'm not a huge fan because I'm a ex-Balmain current West Tigers supporter. I have um, – thanks, Greg. I have huge respect for the club and the organisation from a history point of view and certainly had empathy when they were removed from the competition, which I'm sure you'll go into in the history piece, but not an avid follower of the Bunnies or the Rabbitohs at all. Um, but, yeah, acknowledge the history and what they bring to the game, but not a huge follower or supporter of them. Which is fair enough. And a lot of people sit that passionate South fans or you're not. All right, so, so I'll make a start. 
Oh, so for the rugby league, sorry, I'll just go into it very briefly. So the New South Wales Rugby League started, those of you who are into their history would know all this already, but just very briefly, started in 1908 or 1907, I think the trouble started. It was all rugby union. And then there was issues with players. It was amateur, but if they got injured, the rugby union wasn't paying them any money. So you think back then, life was pretty tough, and if blokes got injured, blokes, they weren't helping them out. And they thought, well, this is wrong. So what they did is they formed a professional league where they wouldn't get paid to play, but they would be covered insurance-wise for injuries and that sort of thing. And the major thing they did was um, they got Daly Messenger, who was the big union star of the day. And then clubs started to form. Look, like it would have started in Brisbane, Sydney, and the Aussie Rules in Melbourne and Adelaide and Perth, just very local. So obviously Sydney in that time was the city. It didn't, go, didn't sprawl out that far. And so the districts around Sydney started, started forming their clubs. So the history side, Daly Messenger, is that a name you're familiar with, Greg? Yeah, I think anyone who's even remotely involved or followed rugby league over the years has heard the name Daly Messenger. Certainly from a history point of view, don't know a lot about him, but I was aware that he was the first big signing, as we use the language today, as he moved from rugby union over to the professional body rugby league. So yeah, aware of the name um, and the historical aspect that he's had on rugby league, but don't know a lot about him as a person. Yeah, that was a good series. Um, it was a mini sort of couple of episodes thing in the early 90s about the first kangaroos, I think it was called, and it got into his life. Yeah, he's this really great athlete and you know, excelled at all sports, but we'll get to daily another another episode. But the mighty South Sydney Rabbitohs. So they formed in 1908, obviously. Now they're regarded by their fans as the oldest and most successful rugby league club in Australia. They were ex- so they've been around since 1908. They were expelled in the for the 2000 season, reinstated in 2002, as you alluded to before. Uh, they became privately owned in 2006, which Australia's film star or ex-New Zealand Australian film star Russell Crowe buying the club with uh, Peter Holmes at court. They have the most premierships, New South Wales Rugby League stroke ARL stroke NRL premierships, 21, which is well ahead of the, the nearest. Right, and they have a number of nicknames, South Sydney. So officially the South Sydney District Rugby League Club, but the Rabbitohs, the Bunnies, because they have the Rabbitoh emblem, Pride of the League, the Red and Green, the Cardinal and Myrtle, or simply the Rabbits. Plenty of names there. Now, I said they were formed 17th of January at Redfern Town Hall public meeting where they decided to break away from the rugby union and form a rugby league club. So their first match was Easter Monday, which this was the first day of rugby league in Australia on 20th of April 1908 at Birchgrove Oval. And they were victorious, beating North Sydney Bears, or not Bears then, but North Sydney 11-7. to And they won their first premiership that year, so the inaugural premiership, beating Eastern Suburbs 14-12. Now, interesting, they, Eastern Suburbs, that's a rivalry that continues to this very day. They cannot stand each other, uh, East and or you know, Sydney Roosters fans and Rabbitohs fans. Now, the colours, I mentioned the Cardinal and Myrtle, or red and green, more simply, and they, a hoop-style Guernsey, which everyone's familiar with, I'm sure, they haven't strayed too far from that. 1980s, they called it. They had a style. They called it the Minties style. They actually looked a bit like a minty wrapper. I don't know if you remember, but I actually liked that jumper. I thought it looked quite cool. Well, they sort of had, it was a green jumper, but a red, sort of a white red stripe in the middle. It's the name Minties. That lasted a fair bit of the 80s, and then they went back, back to the hoops. Um, the grounds they played at. Now, initially... A lot of teams apparently didn't really have home grounds because they just played at one spot or two spots. So the first sort of home grounds were the Sydney Sports Ground or the Royal Ag- the Showground, Royal Agricultural Society Ground, because they had match of the day and things like that. Uh, they moved to Red Fern Oval, 1948. Then they moved to the Sydney Football Stadium, Regional Tenants, in 1988. And then in 2006, they moved to Olympic Stadium or Homebush. And that was quite 
controversial at the time because they, you know, their roots were around the Redfern area in inner Sydney and moving out there. Records now, sorry, folks, I'm just going into all the essential stuff before we can have a bit of a chat. So as I mentioned before, premierships twenty one, and they've won seventeen minor premierships. They've been the runner up fourteen times. So what's that? Thirty five grand finals, all premierships. I'll just explain. Back then, they didn't always have a final or grand final. I think if if a team was minor premiers, I think they could early on they just won the title. But if they didn't come first, then the, that team could. If the minor premiers they had a final, they didn't win it, then they could challenge, the minor premiers could challenge the team for a grand final. I think that's how it came about. So, yeah, lots of finals, but a couple of ones I just won first past the post. Right, records, most games. John Sutton, who's now the, one of their trainers, you probably still see him running around on the TV, 336 games. Uh, most points, Adam Reynolds, 1,896. Most tries, Alex Johnson, currently 158. And that's not going to stay where it is because we know Alex Johnson's still playing and still scoring tries for fun. They've produced 68 Australian players with four test captains, even more international players like Sam Burgess and Roy Asatazi and the like. 29 origin players, that's for both New South Wales and Queensland. In total, 1,158 people have worn the, the red and green. Rothman's medal, Dennis Pittard in 1969 and 1971. Now, that's amazing because when we look at players shortly, he's not even really mentioned as one of the greats, but yet won two Rothmans medals. Dally M medal, 1980. Robert Laurie, or affectionately known as Rocky, Rocky Laurie. And Clive Churchill medal, Sam Burgess, 2014. But of course, the medal is named after one of their greats, Clive Churchill. And for South, because not a lot of recent success since the 80s at one grand final hence why there's only one winner they've only won one in, in that time alright so before we have a, a little bit more of a look into their their eras Greg was there anything you wanted to comment on or you didn't realise or just any, anything you wanted to make sure it's a bit of a bizarre comment but it's something that bugged me for a while with, with South Sydney when you were talking about the Guernsey and the colours there was an era and they may still do it where they wore black shorts and I hate the black shorts. I like the more traditional red and green or um, with the white shorts. Um, I just don't think the black works at all. And I know that's a ridiculous thing. But with such historic traditional club um, and stra- such strong roots to the beginning of rugby league, just to lose that minor tradition I think is really sad. So, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a vague, bizarre comment, but something that has always bugged me when they wear the black shorts. Hey, we all have our little idiosyncrasies that we like and dislike. I actually don't mind the black shorts, so there we go. We agree to disagree. All right, just heading into their golden eras. So they've had three main great sort of golden periods. First one was 1925 to 1932, where they won seven premierships in eight years. (laughs) Ridiculous. And that's when a journalist by the name of Claude Corbett used the the money car, the pride of the league, which has been used to this day. So that's where they got that that name from. In 1950 to 1955, five premierships. <laughs> so once again, ridiculous. Um, and that's when two of their main players, Clive Churchill, great fullback, and Jack Rayner, who was their captain coach. And 1967 to 1971, four premierships. And that's the era where people our age, our Generation Xs, you know, our dads and that talking about our era John Sattler, Ron Coote, those sorts of players where they were extremely dominant but 1980s, no premierships but a much loved period for many fans and as a non-South supporter I, I still remember Souths from that era and quite affectionately because I was just so bloody tough really really tough tough team and then last premiership was as I said was 2014 so famous players I mentioned Clive Churchill and Jack Rayner in the 50s. Now, a precursor for this one, I can't, we can't name them all. <laughs> There's so many great players that played for that club. Late 60s, John Sattler, who famously played with that broken jaw after t- you know, 10 minutes into the grand final and against Manly and then just kept playing on. 
1970 or 71, that was. Ron Coote, great lock forward. Bob McCarthy, Eric Sims, great point scorer. John O'Neill, tough as nails forward. George Pickens, instrumental. He was a later coach and, and got the club instrumental on getting him back into the comp. Elwyn Waters, great hooker as well. Paul Sate, star centre. 1980s, Mario Fennick, I'm sure you remember. Les Davidson, uh, Dove but one of the toughest forwards ever to lace on a boot. Craig Coleman, a scheming halfback. Michael Andrews, Phil Blake, superstar from, came over for Manly. Wayne Chisholm, Ziggy Niscott, who was much loved player. Rocky Laurie, who I mentioned run, won that Rothmans. 1980s, Daryl Trindle, Craig Wing, Sean Garlick. I put in Rob Maybon, I thought he was an excellent player. And 21st century, Roy Asatazi, Dean Withers, Greg Inglis, Sam Burgess, John Sutton, Damian Cook, Isaac Luke, Adam Reynolds, Cody Walker, Alex Johnson. And that's just to name a few. Some really, really exceptional players. Um, what they're known for, Souths, is because very close, the districts of sort of Redfern, all the way to Maroubra. I used to live in the eastern suburbs and I was surprised how far the territory goes. I thought, you know, east, that a lot of that would be eastern suburbs. But Souths basically, like you said, those inner parts, I'm not sure if it's official, but basically the southern side of Coogee Bay Road, that way, was South's territory. South Coogee, Maroubra, all the way down to La Perouse. So, you know, and so they have a pretty good nursery to draw upon. And like Cameron Murray, there's one I forgot to put in, local junior as well. So, you know, lots of absolute quality players. Now, rivalries. You've probably heard of this, Greg. Balmain. Now, the story, 1909, have you heard that? Not heard this story, so looking forward to it. Right, 1908, Souths win their first premiership, win their second in 1909. Now, different versions of this. I know Souths have their version. They think of the Balmain Tigers version is BS, but being a Balmain supporter, this is gospel, obviously. But 1909, they basically scheduled the grand final as a, as a curtain raiser to Australia versus England or New Zealand rugby test. And they protested against that. They thought that was wrong, obviously. They were the premier sport throughout you know, the season, all that sort of stuff. So allegedly, Balmain and South made an agreement that they're going to forfeit the game. So they both agreed, right, we're not going to turn up. And you know, that's our protest. That's fine. But then, for whatever reason, South turned up, kicked off, and were awarded the premiership. So that's the alleged story. And Balmain supporters have never forgotten it. Which is, one thing I find ironic, though, is it doesn't, it's Balmain and, sorry, South and East and the Roosters have the most hated relationship. We remember that, but yeah, not quite the same bitterness between the Tigers and South if there isn't the Roosters and Souths. But going, which gets me on to the next one, the Roosters. Because their they're territory, so, you know, they, they're neighbours, in the past, Roosters have had a lot more money than South. There's just always been a bit of robbery. A lot of player poaching, you know, as you, even you would know in, in recent times. So they just do not like each other. Look, a bit with the Bulldogs, some player transfers from times, and of course, meeting in the 2014 Grand Final. And the Book of Feuds. Have you, what do you know about the Book of Feuds? Not a lot. <clears throat> I know it's something Russell Crowe brings out every time they play the Roosters and gets a bit of media attention, but I don't know the history or where the Book of Feuds actually came from. Yeah, I'm not sure either whether Russell Crowe made it up, but yeah, they have these big book and you know, before an important game, just try and fire the team up, they read out this story of how this club has dudded them somehow. Now, something that's happened that's not, a, not acceptable and they need, to, you know, they need payback. And you know, I think, well, you know, Rusty Crowe's a good actor and knows a good story. I think there's a lot of sort of license given but it's something that they use but I actually saw it um, I forget where it was but a little performance of it and it was quite funny but hey if it works for them now something I know Greg that will sort of appeal appeal to your interests so South I said they represent that district Sydney real working class even to this day just tough and I play their football like the district just really honest hard working tough football but also an important community for Aboriginal people in Sydney, in New South Wales, okay, the Redfern area. And Souths have always had high Aboriginal player representation. 
and always had a huge supporter base amongst the Aboriginal community. And you know, more recently, Greg Inglis, obviously he's signing from Melbourne. He did great things. Dean Witters, I mentioned. And at the moment, now Latrell Mitchell. You know, being a star players of who Aboriginal players who are doing great things at Souths. And Souths, they do a lot. They have their Souths Cares organisation. And, and so it's not just their footy club. They just do a, a great deal to help help the community. I think that's one of South's real strengths is the links they create in working within the community and, and really representing the community on the field and then taking that back in and, and giving opportunity to those community members, really prioritising themselves not as a business, they are a business, but really sharing that so that that Indigenous representation is acknowledged, recognised and celebrated and making that connection to not just the, the people but, you know, that real connection to country and making that part of the culture of the club and I think that's something that they do better than any other clubs and they should be really proud of it. Couldn't agree with you more. No, no, really commendable. Last thing we'll mention about the Mighty Bunnies is that reinstatement. So the Super League war hit and then they NRL was formed and I was like, right, remember our criteria, silly criteria they had to meet? Junior, that used to have enough money, obviously, junior development, et cetera, et cetera. What were they thinking? A club like South always struggled in the 90s, not a lot of money, but great history, and in their wisdom, they decided to kick them out. But they didn't know who they, what they were messing with. So South's always had a great big supporter base and some quite powerful people as their supporters. George Pickens, very passionate yeah, you know, but self-made men as well, businessmen, quite quite wealthy. But him and Russell Crowe and others, Ray Martin, the you know famous media personality, Andrew Denton, they got together. They had a huge protest march. I wasn't in Australia; I was in the UK at the time, but I certainly heard about it and saw it in the media. You know, they marched on town hall in protest just to say, you know, this is our club. This represents our people. But thanks to these people, cut a long story short, common sense prevailed. After I think they went in 2001 and played in the bush and, and kept the you know, kept playing, but then they were reinstated for the 2002 season, and it took a while. I remember the 2002 their first game. I think they got a hiding, and I remember someone saying, "That's the Souths I remember and love. I know and love." But hey, Russell Crowe, 2006. That was controversy at the time, if you remember. A lot of people saying it's not going to work. Why are we going to sell the club? To my reckoning. It was that all period. You know, it might have gone the same way again. I, th- I thought they had nothing to lose. And look where it's got them now. They're a, a, a powerhouse, undeniably. So, look, I know it's only a snippet, really. It's South Sydney Rabbitohs. But, hey, you know, one of the foundation clubs and the most successful clubs. Guys, a couple of good books. I haven't, I've only read a bit of them, but Glory Days by Alan Whitaker. And um, there's a really good book on all the clubs, History NRL Clubs probably about 15 years old now, but it might have been updated by Ian Heads. You know, no surprise there. Two really renowned rugby league historians. But yeah, that's about the mighty Rabbitohs. Look, hopefully our listeners, you might just heard a player's name or something and just thought, oh, my, oh yeah, he was a good player. Might inspire you to look them up or you know, just know that little bit more about who the South Sydney are. And sorry, Greg, we just keep, stuff keeps coming on board, doesn't it, in your mind. The Rabbitohs, why? Look, two theories behind it. The main one is back in the you know really working class 1930s, 40s, they used to have uh, what they call them, hawkers, who would, with their rabbits, who would you know per- go down the streets with their carts shouting out, Rabbitohs, Rabbitohs, for people to buy them for you know, for meal to cook. So that's allegedly where the, the whole Rabbitohs thing came from. So I think we're well and truly covered it. A reasonable amount, just for a supposed summary. But that's our first NRL history. What we'll probably do, we'll probably do a couple of NRLs and then head to AFL. So look, for next week, I think doing Souths first, I think it's only fitting that the next time we'll have a look at the eastern suburbs straight Sydney Roosters. All right, Gray, this week we thought we'd have a bit of a deep dive look at the Commonwealth Games. Very relevant to us in Australia here right now as they're taking place in England. Um, they go for about 10 days. They're held, being held in Birmingham. Um, and 
we just thought being relevant at the moment, we'd have a chat about the Commonwealth Games, their relevance as uh, a sporting institution, um, you know, the the interest shown or lack thereof and the notion going forward, is, do they have a place in the sporting calendar as we move forward? And I'll be quite upfront, I'm not pro the Commonwealth Games, not the athletes themselves. I think, you know, they go for it full on and train and prepare for it. I just don't see the relevance of the Commonwealth and hence the Commonwealth Games in you know the mid 2020s in this day and age it's it's a historical concept that doesn't seem to have a place in the world anymore there are, are a couple of very strong countries um, that perform extremely well Australia being one of them with significant populations like England Canada um, New Zealand to a lesser extent and and then a number of very very small small countries that you know don't have the financial backing the resources to invest in sport and, and obviously find it difficult to compete against those larger countries that I mentioned. So it's very lopsided. I find the competition very, very lopsided. And when you think of the swimming and athletics, particularly without the um, Europeans and Americans in there, it, it really dilutes and waters down the competition that's available to those top performers. So I guess not having a go at the athletes any way, shape or form, but having a go at the concept of the Commonwealth Games, I don't see a place. Where do you stand on it, Gray? It's a good discussion point for sure two sides isn't it it's political and historic and then the actual sporting side of it as as you alluded to the history of it back to the colonial days look we know back then things whole world worked differently and all that but but it is a hangover from that and you'll notice so it started in 1930 i think there were six nations very well one of them england the UK basically England you know Wales Scotland Ireland and then it grew from there you know obviously African countries Asian countries with the colonization and you know the historical links there to to England and Britain but and the name of it changed though so first it was the Empire Games and then then I think it became the Empire Commonwealth Empire Games and eventually the Empire part of it was removed now the commonwealth games so that sort of link i know sits uncomfortably with some people and you know we could talk about that all day but that's that's one reason people are, a lot of people are anti commonwealth games the sporting side of it as you've mentioned very well explained very well it's it's lopsided isn't it it depends i think for those smaller countries it has more relevance because it gives them an opportunity gives their athletes a a venue a platform a theater to perform in us like we've done extremely well in the swimming and we're doing well in the athletics but no no usa for a start no europe so that that says a lot also we have once again it whenever you say it it's like we're ditching on the athletes but but when australia are winning comp gold medals in gymnastics like it doesn't painting a great picture at all. Gymnastics Australia doing a great job, but we're not a powerhouse by any stretch. So it sort of shows the strength of the competition. One part I think it does work well for, or it is okay, is when you have a sport where it's predominantly, just by chance, Commonwealth countries, whether it's got you know a British origin who play, like netball is a great example, where basically the strong countries in netball are part of the Commonwealth. So it's like another world championships. So it works well, but other sports... You know, it's just the talent pool is just spread so sort of unfairly. The whole part, it's not the whole part, sorry, that for a lot of it, it's just such an uneven competition. And to get excited about it as if, you know, yes, it's an achievement to come first in any event, but due to the strength, I just think it's overrated. One thing, just going back to the um, colonial days, is I know some people would argue, well, I mean, you're cricket tragics. That's colonial as well. The English took that sport to India and the West Indies and and South Africa, but you know I, I don't think that's a fair argument either. I think the difference being that this a bit like the Olympic model, where in the Commonwealth Games the the countries come together once every four years, and it's basically modelled on a mini Olympic Games. And I I do take your point around sports like netball, and I know um, the Australian netball team and 
you know, um, I guess the other countries rate it very highly, the success in the Commonwealth Games, um, as it should be because they they don't participate in the Olympics. It's not an Olympic sport, and they but they do have a World Cup or a World Championship. So it is like a second World Cup to them, I guess. I think the other thing, you know, we need to think about is there, there seems to be a lack of desire for countries to host now and in terms of the investment for the cost, what do they get back for the cost? And I know for this current games that it wasn't originally being hosted by England or Birmingham in England. It was originally Durban in South Africa. And two or three years ago, they're actually stripped of that for financial struggle and couldn't um, meet the financial obligation. And Birmingham put their hand up, I believe it was two years ago, and said they would host it. And I, I know the next one in four years' time, there was for a while no one willing to put their hand up to host it. There was no Commonwealth city that was willing to spend the money. Eventually, Victoria and Australia did, but only if the Commonwealth Organisation Committee changed the model and they were allowed to host in um, regional Victoria as opposed to Melbourne being the host city as such. And that was agreed to, and they are hosting um, all the events in four years' time throughout regional Victoria. But if that trend continues, if there's no hosting city, they're going to die a death Anyway, so I think that's something that needs to be considered as well. And, and if it does continue, maybe the model needs continue, continue refinement and reflection to make it more sustainable if, if it is to continue. And I think your comment before, I think a lot of the smaller nations do find it has more impact for them and more purpose for them because of the, the nature of the competition and, and success some of those smaller nations are able to have. So look, I'm not sure where it sits going forward, but I, I do think the model and particularly the way it's hosted and held needs to be reflected on and maybe refined as it goes forward, if if it does go forward beyond Victoria in four years' time. And looking at the, the host, look, we want to be honest, I do know some people from Birmingham and they'll be the first to say, not the prettiest city in the world. You know, we know it's home to some, it's been home to some great music performers, home of the Peaky Blinders, of course, but... It was once voted the most boring city in the world, and you don't you don't win those contests for no reason. You know, it's very working class. You know, in the mid Midlands, there it's the second biggest city in the UK, so it's a it's a big place, but not the most inspiring, that's for sure. But and it goes to show who's putting their hand up to host these events. You know, Australia, we've we got good climate, love our sport, but nowhere else really, and it's it's a huge financial cost. So, and as we've mentioned, going back to the colonial roots, I, you said to restructure, and that, that could be looked at, but personally I think it would be a lot easier just to just pull the pin. When that will happen, I wonder if Her Majesty, you know, she's doing a great job, but you know, we know that her reign is, is not going to last too much longer. So whether that's you know, when King Charles becomes hits the throne, whether, he, whether they look at it then, I'm not sure. But it's yeah, it's relevance and its longevity must surely be in question. The fact that we had world championships every two years, so we have the the world event, the Olympics, every four. Then we have world world championships every two. Uh, varies from sport to sport. Some sports every two and some every four. Usually the off four to the Olympics, so it's two years between. I know football is every four years, basketballs every four years, athletics might be every two years. I think. And how they manage that, I'm not sure, around the Olympics. And swimming, I think, might be every two years now as well. I could be wrong with those. Please let us know if I am wrong. Happy to be corrected. But I think with those you know, world championships and those Olympic Games, as I said, where it fits in the calendar, needs, I think they need to look at it. And you're right. Maybe with a change of the monarchy, that might be the catalyst to you know, either end it gracefully or completely modify it. And so it's, it's something different completely. Hate to have to refer back to one of our favourite sports, rugby league, but... Reminds me of the old city country game. You know, it was relevant. It was always a state of origin trial. And we're talking in the 80s. And it was used as a legitimate trial. And really, it lost its relevance in the early to mid-90s. And yet, they st- still dragged it on for 25 odd years. And eventually, when they did, you know, instead of just a quick death, it was a slow, painful death. And when they got rid of it, no one has missed it one iota. Yes, you can argue. Yes, the the it's not great for the country because you know, they used to get that. You know, the players go the best 
best players New South Wales has going out there and, and that. But development is still happening in other shapes or forms with games going to the country. So, yeah, I, I just think we're prolonging we're prolonging stretching it out when it's 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 time to pull the pin. I think that's a great analogy, Gray, that country origin versus city origin match that did hang around for years and served no purpose nor relevance in the end. Um, and I think that's you know a great analogy of, sadly, on some people's minds, where the Commonwealth Games is going. Look, I know there's lots of people out there listening that will disagree with us vehemently, and I respect that. If you've got any feedback, please send us an email with you know a different perspective or insight. We're certainly open to change our minds, but I think it's just relevant to talk about in, in the current sporting climate at the moment. And with the games taking place right now, it's certainly front and centre in our sporting media. And um, I think it was a perfect time to talk about it. But if you have a different view or agree with us, don't forget to flick us an email at twosportingmuppets at gmail.com. That's number two, sportingmuppets at gmail.com. Well, I'm going I'm to sign off. Thank you to our listeners. We're slowly but surely increasing our listenership. So thank you so much for your support. About to hand you back to Greg, but have a fantastic week. Look, good luck, whatever support, whatever sport, sorry, that you support. Good luck to your team this this coming weekend, and have a good one. Thanks, Gray. Always enjoy the chat about sport. Really enjoyed the chat around the history of the South Sydney Rabbitohs and our chat around the Commonwealth Games. Everyone stay safe, have a great week, and we will be back on the pod next week with our wrap of sport. Thanks, everyone.